I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So this is a minor thing about these week's episodes, but were you a little confused as I was in Blood and Sleepless? Because in Blood, suddenly Mulder shows up and they talk about him being from the behavioral sciences yeah. unit. And, then it's, and I was like, oh. And, and he's I guess, working with Scully again, yeah. Well, kind of. And then I guess... I was like, oh, okay, I guess he's back there now, and they just didn't show us. And then in Sleepless, he's back to doing wiretap stuff. Yeah, I didn't really – it didn't really bother me. I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just yeah. a little strange. I, I, I think it's kind of interesting that the show has this meta plot, this mythology as it's calling itself, and yet it feels free to kind of ignore it when it wants to because – Well, I will correct you a little bit. The show never calls it a mythology. What are you? That term is really interesting just as a side note because, like I said, I don't think the show ever uses that term. And I think it comes from a place more of people in the 90s not knowing what to call this type of storytelling yeah, yeah, yeah. because it was fairly new. Well, I get I, I have a very clear memory of reading a TV guide, you know, it, around the time that this show was on and there was a little thing about, well, the, the X Files has what Chris Carter calls a mythology arc and it had some of the bigger elements of it you know it, it involves ufos the cigarette smoking man things like that yeah that was I, I, I it is true we don't they didn't really have the language for talking about this in the same way um and yet myth arc is so identified with this show and it's something that a little bit was i know when lost was first on the term was used sparingly around when it. what was on lost what, oh, exactly, lost? exactly, yeah. <laughs> the heir to this series' methods of storytelling, let's say. Okay. Um, I, I know the term was used a little bit, but again, just more as a remnant of ter- terms that we would use now, such as serialization and arcs and things like that would – I guess a little Buffy was maybe used that terminology too a bit, but yeah, you, I can already see how Buffy was doing something very different, how Lost was doing something very different, a, a couple steps beyond where X-Files was. So yeah, I, you can definitely see this as the beginning of this method of storytelling and realizing that this style for this period of time was pretty limited. And so you have an episode like Blood, which – you know, we need to be business as usual. We need to get back to what the X Files is. We don't. We want people who just want to see the monster of the week and don't want to have to deal with all of this larger stuff. And so, I think it works well. I think it's not. It. I would say that the mythology of the show hasn't been strong enough, so that way, when it's not focusing on it, it feels like it's ignoring the larger plot. In Deep Space Nine, for example. They're in the middle of the Dominion War, and if they're going on a side adventure, you it ignoring the Dominion War makes it seem like this big quadrant-wide event is not even happening, and so they would try to they would almost go out of their way to make references to the larger events. This is not at that point yet, but yeah. I I mean, Blood was a fantastic episode. I thought. Yeah, I mean, definitely, Blood is stronger than Sleepless. I I although I, I liked both. Yeah, but. I like both too. I I think that I got. I think I always get Sleepless confused with another episode that isn't very good. That is about voodoo. I think. So I can't see how the voodoo episode would be any good. I so can't you, wait. You have that to look forward to. But uh, yeah, I like Sleep a lot, and I think that it's really interesting to me because you know we talked a little bit uh, last week about how the the beginning of the second season feels markedly different from the first season. It feels more assured. It feels more confident in what it's doing. And it feels a little bit even more experimental. 
And I think that these two episodes continue that trend. I think that both of these episodes kind of are starting to really delve into what I consider one of the X-Files signature storytelling devices or its interests, which is this kind of idea about, you know, what is America? Yeah. And, and what does it mean to be American? What does it mean to place this show in an American sort of cultural context, a... a kind of a, a it's almost a fable in a way and i think you see that in the character of the sheriff most obviously yeah. because he's in a way it's a little bit sloppy because he's just basically there to expound about the american experience but it also works because it does ground it in a place yeah well i mean this episode i i love that this episode after a while had every damn thing in it right it was about ddt it was about O.J. Simpson. It was about the L.A. riots. It was about Rodney King. It was about uh, subliminal messaging. Like everything is in this fucking episode. But I found that it worked very well because it is just kind of this a pressure cooker, right? I mean, it is a little on the nose to have DDT was this thing that hurt a lot of people, made a lot of people extraordinarily sick, and. To have a version of a pesticide that turns people into psychotic murderers may be a little on the nose, but at the same time, it's reminding us of these – I mean this is a show that in these two episodes is tr- is trying to deal with the sins of America in a way, the things that were swept under the rug, the mistakes, the short-sightedness, all of those things, and if – the effects are these exaggerated versions. If the effect of Chernobyl in the last episode was that we have this mutant fluke monster man, um, again, this is a science fiction show. This is a horror series, but the point remains: these things happened and they were fucked up. And you know, if this isn't how it happened in reality, well. People did get cancer in reality. People did die from Chernobyl, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that what you really see in, in both of these episodes is the, the, the sins that America has committed really coming back yeah. to, to haunt it. And, you know, I think in Blood, obviously, I, I think of things like DDT because that was uh, a very key part of the episode. And they even yeah. show some of that footage of people being sprayed with DDT I in the 50s. didn't know that part. Like, I didn't realize that oh, yeah, they thought they, it was that safe that they could, wow. Well, like, that, yeah, that was, you know, if you think back to the, the 50s and the 60s, that was the time period when everybody thought that uh, industrial chemicals were going to be just the way forward for the world essentially i mean this was the development of plastics ddt all sorts of preservatives and foods you know uh ready-made foods all that kind of stuff prepackaged foods things like that i mean this was the thing this was going to be the the savior of humanity this is what the gop is trying to do right now it's so fucked up watching this episode that this is the again it's it's watching this footage especially in the context of Knowing what D- even the most well-meaning scientists who worked on DDT and said it was safe and just overlooked the long-term ramifications that I mean, let's 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 give them well, that much credit. The, that footage is absolutely horrifying, but it's very obvious that that footage was taken in a very optimistic spirit. Exactly. Yeah. In hindsight, yeah, it's horrifying because we know the effects of DDT, but that was not the case then. There, yeah. there was not this distrust of chemicals i mean i don't think that it's not an accident that that sort of non-gmo foods and organic is a big thing now yeah because it's really fascinating to me because what this episode is really indicating is that 
it's taking these ideas, it's taking this very real historical events that happened in the past yeah. and and placing on them, I think, more of a dystopian, cynical view than perhaps is warranted. Mm. I don't know. You know, I don't think that, I don't, okay, I, you know, I don't think the federal government actually thought DDT was unsafe because, and frankly, this is going to sound horrible, but I mean it in the spirit yeah. of... Of, of wokeness, I guess, that they're spraying it on white people. So, huh. and, and, you know, yeah. it can and contrast it with something like the Tuskegee experiments, yeah. right, which were done on black men. So I think that while they knew what yeah, was yeah, going yeah, on yeah. Was, was perhaps pretty bad with the Tuskegee experiments, with something like DDT, I don't think they actually did. But I think that in this episode specifically, what you see is the the government learning from its mistakes in a way and saying okay well we thought DDT was safe and it wasn't safe we didn't do enough testing or whatever so we're going to do testing on this small town it's going to be a, a, a it's going to be a small scale experiment to see what is going on and we are going to obfuscate it in so many different layers that no one except Mulder is really going to figure out what's going on because Mulder is brilliant yeah and also willing to admit extreme possibilities. I mean, there is the uh, – one of the standout scenes is when he basically does figure it out and he's spinning off. He says, well, subliminal messaging, and they're giving – and Scully says, but why? And it deflates him. He doesn't really have an answer for that. And Which I, I think – well, I think the answer is why not? Yeah, I mean the answer is the kind of obvious – this show believes that certain entities – in the name of scientific progress, are willing to cross lines. And so, yes, it, it's as simple as why would they want a chemical agent that could be used to control a populace? You can do it for pacification. You can do it as a war device. Basically, whatever you want. This is a government that will – it doesn't it, – in a way, it doesn't really matter. That's kind of a MacGuffin in that way. The point – as you say, why not? Yes, pure science. They want to test the effects of this. I mean they – this is a this is a – world where scientists created alien human hybrids not because they wanted to create alien human hybrids or they wanted to get some benefit out of that they just figured they could yeah yeah and i don't think it's incidental either that it's taking place in a small town of pennsylvania yeah you know one of the things again that the x-files is really fascinated by is small town america and so to to place it in this context, to place it in a, in a setting where even the sheriff character says, look, this is the safest place. We've only had, I think he says like three murders since colonial yeah, times, yeah, which yeah. is frankly unbelievable. But, you know, let, let's go with that for the yeah. sake of the argument that that it it's it's taking a place that is quintessentially safe and quintessentially American yeah. and quintessentially wonderful and turning it into a grim horrible science experiment and making it a place of of horrors you know i i i think that there is part of part of the implication is that this already was a place of horrors in that i mean the one guy's claustrophobia is maybe a little much but at the same time he is dealing with the uh an exaggerated version of corporate you know white collar life um, the postal worker at the beginning is dealing with a tedious job and layoffs and downsizing on all of that, all of those horrors on the worker. The woman who may be, who has the fear of rape and the, with the mechanic is dealing with a legitimate fear as well. I sure. mean, these these are people who are reacting to leg- possibly legitimate fears or problems with the modern world that uh, who are 
through the MacGuffin of the week, that turns into violence, that turns into a caged animal lashing out. And again, we see images of stuff like Rodney King, the LA riots. Uh, I I don't know if the suggestion is that that was part of it, testing or whatever, but in, here in the real world, we understand those as bits of social pressure, which got to be so high that it erupted into a an explosion of violence yeah i mean i that's the one part of the episode that i'm never really sure what they're trying to say i, I don't think the episode is intentionally saying that the rodney king beating yeah. and the riots were part of this experiment but i think it's more about okay well that happens in that part of america and we don't have those problems hmm. here but they do have those yeah. problems. It's just that they are more sublimated. You know, again, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have you have Mrs. Robert with the with the rape phobia. You have the the guy in the elevator that's claustrophobic. You have the postal worker who is uh, uh, phobic against blood. But it's which you know also come there's the title. But it does come from a place of these people are sort of. I mean, it's a cliche at this point, but they're almost living lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. I mean, none of them seem really happy anyway. So and LSDM makes it loud desperation. Right, right. So you know, I don't know where that I don't know where that takes us, but yeah, I, I, I mean, looking at all of the footage, it, I mean, Charles Manson. This is all LA centered uh, images, but I don't know if that was just a coincidence, just because again, at this point in, at this point, legitimately in history, things in LA were really fucking bad, and yeah. So it could just be that what were the what were the biggest violent news stories of the past few years did just happen to be in L.A. as – I mean you could see a bunch of violent stuff from New York in the 1970s, same basic principles. Uh, yeah, again, I, I, I don't get the sense that those scenes were intended to be drawing a distinction between those. I think they were making it clear that this same violence that erupts in the real world is in small-town America oh, as, sure. as well, certainly, yeah. It may not erupt into violence. It may not yeah. erupt into. I mean, because really, what it comes down to is that a small town like Franklin, Pennsylvania, does not does probably not have the sort of socioeconomic factors yeah. that are going into something like the LA riots, for example. Uh, there was a lot of history of of police brutality against yeah, yeah. people of color, things of that nature that just didn't exist in a small town like Franklin, Pennsylvania, for instance. Yeah. I mean, the sheriff even says as much. But it is the case where I think Mulder is. Obviously, Mulder is using this as a way to further his aims of basically undermining the government, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you could you could say extrapolating this episode out, of course, that it's a little bit too unbelievable, but <laughs> it's part of the point of it that, that this is so over the top, I think, that yeah. the government feels so invincible and so insulated from the consequences of its own actions that it can essentially cause the deaths of something like, I think it was like 30 people in, yeah. a, in the space of like three weeks in a very small town in Pennsylvania and no one is going to notice. You know, it's that kind of thing where yeah. you look at it and you say, wow, okay, Mulder is probably right here because if this is what the government is doing, then this is horrible. Yeah, and it's it's not even so much that nobody can notice, but who's going to, how are they going to prove that? I mean, this is a, at the very end, whoever is, and we have to assume it's the government, but whoever's behind this even taunts Mulder with, you know, the all done, bye-bye. I mean, that's, that's, 
you know exactly what we did and probably why we did it and a lot about how we did it. But you have no idea who we are and you can't even catch us and who's going to believe you anyway. How would you begin to prosecute this thing? Yeah. I mean, Scully doesn't even believe him. Yeah. I mean, she shows up and she does the autopsy and, and she basically says, why? No, it's not this. It, it's not the LSDM. It can't be. There's no re- there's no reason for this to be there. And there's no it's just not possible. And of course, Mulder doesn't believe her. And it's a little strange that Scully shuts him down so quickly. But, yeah. you know, she, again, is someone who believes in the science and she's not going to, you know, go off into into Mulder's fantasy land with him just because he says so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she she doesn't have any evidence that this is heightened by that, and she hasn't seen any of the subliminal messaging, so yeah. Well, she didn't get dosed with the LSDM. Well, maybe she should have been. Which was good, because she was pregnant. Oh. Well, Scully wasn't pregnant, but you know what I, I mean. understand, I understand. So uh, how are you uh, liking the... I guess the evolution of this season so far, because this episode, I mean, obviously there's a lot more going on yeah. with the meta plot and sleepless, but I, I wonder how you're feeling about the fact that, you know, they separate Scully and Mulder and they kind of, they kind of justify it in the next episode, yeah. but uh, again, he's, basically they're, they're, they're still working together. Only they're not, I think there's a lot. And, and again, next episode, we'll have a bit more to say on that, but Obviously, knowing the practical behind the scenes reasons that, uh, again, due to the fact that she was pregnant, she was f- shooting fewer scenes and all of that, you know, it, I notice it less because I just assume, all right, it's a filmmaking trick in a way, and I'm not going to look too deeply into that. And they're also making it a lot about the fact that. They're not working with each other most of the time, and so there are few times that they do get to work together. They're missing each other. They're very happy to see each other. They're getting back into old rhythms that they are – did not realize that they they valued as much as perhaps they do until it was taken away from them. And I think that's a very smart thing that they're doing with that. It allows the relationship to stay there and stay very vibrant and stay very important to them while still – Bowing to certain plot and uh, production yeah. uh, issues. Well, one of the things that I think that's all true, but I, I think one of the things I always notice about these episodes is how Mulder doesn't seem to be having any fun. Mm. Because in the first season, when he's investigating these things with, with Scully, he just seems like he's having fun. Yeah. And even, I mean, especially in in Blood, he is... He looks grim. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. He's not happy. Yeah. He's not having any sort of fun or interest at all. And I'm not saying he should be having fun investigating a murder, but it's... No, it's, I know. He, he He's not enjoying this in the way that he did with Scully. There is certainly a sense of agency that Mulder had when he was doing the X-Files. They were his cases. They were... That was his little department. Even if it was a tiny dark office in the basement... That everybody didn't really that everybody was looking down on, and he was kind of off to the side. It was still his room in the basement in his cases, and he's the one who's choosing what to do, and he's going off on his again. There's a sense of mastery that he is having, especially in the after the events of the finale when he is legitimately knocked down several pegs by simply having being reassigned to wiretap work to very yeah. tedious stuff. So. Even when he is allowed out, it's he's allowed out on somebody else's sufferance. You know what I mean? Yeah, and also it, it's. I think part of it too is that 
you know, he says he's having a very difficult time coming up with a profile for this. Yeah. I like the fact that the episode kind of breaks down the differences between spree and serial yeah. killers as well, because that's something I wrote in my notes even before Mulder started talking about it, because I just I know a lot about serial killers. <laughs> but um, it is the case that I think he's you know, he doesn't realize what exactly is going on until he finds the, the he, he's running and he notices them, them throwing those bugs into the gutter. And so he doesn't realize, I guess, that this is the next file until about 20 yeah. minutes into the episode. And I think that, you know, that's part of it, too, where he's kind of like, OK, there's spree killings going on. This is very strange. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I'm here to develop a profile. But that's not where he's interested in working anymore. And so it's almost perfunctory to him. I think he's interested in the challenge of it. But he's also his heart is not in this work anymore. Yeah, although after last week when he was assigned what he thought was uh, an insult punishment assignment and it turned out to be uh, Skinner slipping him an X-File under the table, you would think that maybe he would recognize, gee, there's a weird series of spree killings that I can't even explain. Oh, I've been handed an X-File again. Well, the <laughs> one I mean, the one thing about Mulder, though, is that when he doesn't get his way, he's always yeah, a little that's, sulky. That is true. Like he's just a little bit of a sad sack sometimes, and he he's a little he's a little uh, stubborn. I will say, yeah. So it's probably part of that yeah. too. No, that, that 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 is very fair. Yeah, I I do. Uh, uh, maybe the last thing to say before we well, there's two more things to say actually because we have the, the lone gunman appearing yeah. again. But I'll get your reaction to that in a minute. But I think that the, I would be remiss if I didn't say the end of the episode when, when Ed goes up into the clock tower at the, at the university. You know, that again, as we were talking about all of this sort of like American mythology, yeah. American crime, fear of, fear of violent death, that is consi- – I mean the, the University of Texas at Austin shootings in, in the mid-60s. Do you know anything about these? No. So this sure. was um, a man who went up into the clock tower at the University of Texas okay. in Austin and I think – I think it was 1964, 1965, and essentially um, just held the entire campus hostage for about, I I don't know exactly how long it was, 45 minutes, an hour or something like that. Um, This was basically one of the first instances of this sort of random gun violence that got national attention primarily because of radio and huh. they showed up on the scene very quickly. And so it was broadcast all over the country and it happened sort of in the middle of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people were like at lunch and stuff. It's kind of fascinating. It's yeah, just yeah. Just whole, a perfect this, storm. A of... perfect storm of stuff. And that is uh, uh, obviously in this is that in that yeah. event is influencing that very much because that is calling back to that sort of like genesis of this kind of fear of random gun violence as well see and obviously that see that scene i got a lot of resonances of kennedy assassination anytime you have a show that's dealing with this kind of government paranoia and a high space to shoot from uh also there are a ton of vertigo homages in the uh shooting uh, yeah in in the way the scene is shot which is again very much classic american film in a way so yeah this is it's a very American show. Yeah, I mean, I think you're starting to see why why I like the show yeah. so much. Because it definitely is kind of elevating itself at this point. Well, we would be remiss also if we did not talk about The Lone Gunman. Do we have to? I, I, like I, the, how do you not I, like I, The Lone I, I, Gunman? I think I don't like the... Because they always feel like... Because it always feels like a very forced crossover episode from a show that doesn't exist yet. I mean, they... I. 
they're there. They they do their thing, and they have their banter. And what's his name is wearing a social distortion T-shirt. But I don't know. Okay. The show very much wants me to like them. I guess. Yeah, I guess that's all fair. I mean, I feel like they will endear themselves to me with repetition. I hope so. I love the Lone Gunman. <laughs> They're amazing. Okay. I mean, Frohickey is gross, but that's the point. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that they're a good, I don't know. They're, they're so, they're just great. I, 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 I can't say I, I guess I can't say I dislike the lone gunman and they will be, I feel like if I'm going to spend my time disliking the lone gunman, I'm going to have a very bad time of this. Yes. It's like saying, you know, watching Star Trek and deciding you hate Klingons and anytime a Klingon is, I don't like Klingons. Yeah, but you don't it's not like it's torture to watch them. It kind of is actually. Okay. I kind of hate Klingons a lot. Well, um, no, I, I guess I, my metaphor makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. You never make any sense. It's all right. <laughs> no, I mean, I th- I will say that the lone gunmen probably have not made as much of an impression in these couple of episodes because yeah. you don't know where they're going. You don't know what their point is yet. I mean, really at, at this point, their, their point is to a show that, that, people think that Mulder is crazy, even the crazy people. Yeah. And also they're just there to kind of act as a surrogate Scully. I mean, you get the sense, I certainly get the sense that they were probably written to just be a random people, a random person that, uh, I mean, I get the sense that they were intended to be just one of these random encounters that Mulder has from time to time. He'll meet up with somebody who gives him information or a tech or whatever, and they'll, so probably they were just intended to be for the one episode and then again just played very well, worked really well, were too uh, too interesting of characters to to not go in further to and then eventually became a thing. And so I guess I'm looking forward to them having some more distinct characters. Okay, that's fair. I think that happens and I think you'll be pleased with that. Okay. And you'll be very excited to to Watch the seventh season of the show, which is all about the lone gunman. Oh, boy. No, it's not true. All right. Well, let's move on to Sleepless, which is a very exciting episode for reasons that have nothing to do with the plot of the episode. Oh. Although it's fine. I think it's a fine yeah, X-File. It's a, something weird's happened. It has something to do with the government. And while that was an adventure. I always forget that uh, it's this episode that kind of pushes a lot of this new development forward because you have the, well, the new character of Crycheck, which yeah. we have to talk about who is, I mean, I'll just ask you outright. Okay. What, what do you think is going on with him? Well, I, so I, so I knew the name Alex Crycheck from just osmosis again, when I, I guess I heard it at some point and is, and all I literally knew was there was a character on the X-Files named. So, I assumed, okay, when this character, again, is not just going to be a one-off, he will probably be in other episodes, maybe he will be a more important part of the series. But either way, I did take him at his face value. This is an agent who, there are, again, Mulder is not going to be the only person in the entire FBI who's interested in some stuff that's a little more out there. And he is going, as many people as look down on him, there are going to be people who hear the rumors about him and are excited and view him as kind of a hero figure. If we've seen people outside of the FBI who know about him, so certainly he's going to have fans in the FBI. And it is very natural that 
Mulder would meet up with somebody. And I think they were doing a lot of – there's a lot of good work done towards the Mulder and Scully relationship through Crycheck, the bit where the two of them are talking and freezing him out. The bit where Mulder is starting to realize – when they're talking later and she's saying, oh, it must be nice to not have somebody – question your every every judgment and the two of and Mulder definitely realizing that what he needs isn't somebody who's going to going to be a yes man or just take him at face value but somebody who can hone his arguments through argument hone his ideas through argumentation and Krychek is not going to be that person but again I figured all right well this is going to be a character who's Mulder 10 years ago and he's going to contrast to Scully and that's and then at the very bit, bit at the end where it's revealed he's working for the cigarette smoking man and he's doing he's he exists to sp- he's the second attempt to fig to shut down the X-Files and curb Mulder and figure out what's going on there. Yeah, so there's a lot of places to take that. I think that the appearance of Krychek is interesting because he is a character that appears to be very, very genuine on the on yeah. uh, first, you know, first meeting. He's someone who who you're supposed to kind of take at face value. He and looks like a chipmunk. He looks like a chipmunk, <laughs> which obviously is is I think intentional. Uh, he looks very young. He looks very yeah. uh, green, fresh and, faced, generically handsome. Yeah, but you know he's also kind of greasy, which is yeah. interesting. Um, but I think that that. It's interesting because he is really, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how capable Krychek is. Mm. I mean, we'll find that out. He seems to be, he had, he didn't really do much in this episode. I mean, we don't know no. how capable he actually is. But I think that what's interesting here is a couple things. Number one is that, okay, Scully and Mulder have been separated. And Krychek says at the end of the episode that yeah. their bond is much stronger than they realize and that this is going to be a real problem. And, and- primarily it's going to be a problem because... Scully and Mulder just work very well together. They are, you know, peanut butter and jelly. They're whatever you want to say. Yeah. Uh, they just, they complement each other and they actually make each other better and they make the X-Files better. But at the same time, at the beginning of this episode, when Mulder finds out about this case from the new Deep Throat, let's call him. Yeah. And Crycheck appears. It is kind of, uh, let's say it's a little bit, coincidental that Krychek suddenly appears and says that this was my case. But I think that whether or not Krychek did this of his own own volition or got this information from the cigarette smoking man or whoever, he realizes that Mulder is at loose ends and he realizes that Mulder wants somebody with him, even though he says he doesn't. And he uses that, he uses that sort of desire of Mulder's against him. And then of course, once Mulder realizes exactly he talks to Scully and Scully kind of shoots all his ideas down again. <laughs> and he's, he re, like you said, Mulder realizes that he doesn't want a yes man. He yeah. wants Scully. Well, I guess to quick on the subject of Krychek's capabilities, the fact that he does recognize all that. At the very least, he is insightful. He, he recognizes that separating the two of them, separating the two of them, these are people who know that there is a government conspiracy against them and that, being separate is only going to prove that conspiracy and is going only going to make them figure out how to work together and better to uh, the fact the fact that Krychek is realizing all of this suggests to me that and especially his demeanor in the second in, in his last scene where he is very different from the fresh-faced naive exuberant kind of guy that we've seen again that suggests to me that he's not actually 
fresh out of the academy and just looking for a... Is he even an FBI agent? Well, who knows? I mean, we don't know, right? I mean, he could be an FBI agent in this shadow FBI that obviously exists. <laughs> but, the again, so far, for this episode especially, it doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is that, as you said, they know how to use Mulder against himself. Yeah. But I think that what, what they're realizing is that... Um, you know, it seems to be that we don't know where this is going to go, of course, because Crycheck yeah. at the end of the episode, after all the events, does basically tell the cigarette smoking man, like, look, this isn't working. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to do something about Scully. Yeah. What yeah. Are they, what are they going to do? Who knows? It seems like it might be bad. Oh, they're going to make her have a baby. <laughs> they might. They're going to give her a very reasonable uh, long-term maternity leave paid. And she'll be like, this is great. This is how civilized countries should be. And she'll just be at home with the baby and, you know, for a year. And then then they'll kill Mulder. Yeah, it's very possible. <laughs> yeah. I I like this episode, though, because it, it there. I think you're starting to see that there is a clear path forward for, mm. for this show. Like, it's not that the X-Files are just aimlessly shut down and that the show yeah. is going to meander for half a season. And then suddenly the X-Files are going to be reopened. They are doing really interesting both plot work and character work to get everything in place, I think, for the X-Files being reopened. Because yeah. I don't think it's a shock to you that oh. the X-Files are going to get reopened. I, I I would be surprised if they stay closed past the halfway point of this season, frankly. I they, I mean, the show is called The X-Files. They have to keep them open just simply because of that. It would make no sense. So, yes, but... Uh, well, this episode is, is really interesting on that, on that on that scale, I think, because... Of course, the entire show was set up on the premise that they were telling Scully to take an to you know yeah. the entire show is set up on the premise that Scully is there to essentially spy on Mulder and to debunk his work. And Scully is too much of a person of character to yeah. do that. You know, she tells Mulder outright that she is not there to spy on him, even though that is basically yeah. why she's there. And she she believes that. She is not there to spy on him. Yeah. She is there to put some scientific rigor to his crazy theories. And yeah. then, of course, what happens is that they become this sort of inseparable pair, and they really like each other on a personal level yeah. as well. And then they close the X-Files to try and shut down Mulder and, and divide Scully, you know, yeah. Scully and Mulder. That's obviously not working. So what are they going to do? They could do a lot of different things, and yeah. I don't know that it's really necessary for us to speculate about what they could do, but... They're going to have to do something. Yeah, and I don't know how they're going to reinstate the X-Files, whether it's going to be, you know, Mulder and Scully figure it out and it, they, and that's their reward at the end of the season for – or if it's a case where are they reinstating the X-Files to, keep again, keep them closer? At least they're doing – at least we know when they're working together and where they are and what they're working on. Yeah, I mean, I mean It could be as simple as that. Yeah, yeah that's certainly possible, and that, that would seem to make the most sense. But yeah. we'll have to find out and see. Now, aside from that, I think that, you know, let's deal with the new Deep Throat because mm. what what are you making of him so far? Yeah, I, I mean, part of the I mean, the episode suggests that this folder on the new Marine, uh, on the final Marine, is was something that Deep Throat had compiled and was kind of his last bit of info that he wanted to give to Mulder. And that this new, I mean, this new Deep Throat is not isn't doing what he's doing because he believes in Mulder. 
Uh, he doesn't seem to trust Mulder or like Mulder. Yeah, I was going to say, he doesn't seem to like Mulder. In, in the way that as many agendas as Deep Throat had, even though we may not ever 100% know exactly what he was trying to get at, uh, he certainly believed that Mulder was the one who would be able to best get it done. Uh, the new Deep Throat, Deeper Throat, seems to... I mean, he's doing this as a favor to his dead friend more than he yeah. is because he believe you know deep deep throat thought that this would be the way to go. So I'm fulfilling his last wish, kind of a thing. Well, I always got. I mean, this is not anything that I brought up in the first season, but you know, to me, the relationship between Deep Throat and Mulder almost seemed a little bit like father son, a little mm-hmm. bit paternalistic. And obviously, the the new Deep Throat is is younger than yeah. than uh, the previous Deep Throat. So that kind of relationship is just not going to be there. Yeah. And also, you know, we don't know exactly we don't know exactly what's going on with this guy. We don't know yeah. where he's from. We don't know if he act maybe he's lying. We don't know, but we kind of have to take him at face value. But the fact of the matter is, you're right. Like this new guy is much less invested in Mulder and much more invested in uncovering the the conspiracy. Yeah. And so he's going to use Mulder because Mulder is there, but he doesn't necessarily care about Mulder. And I think that's what, I mean, for example, like he even says outright, like, look, I'm not going to die for you. Yeah. I don't care about you. I care about the conspiracy. I care mm-hmm. about uncovering this stuff. So if it becomes the case that if it's you or me, it's going to be you because you're a tool. I don't care about you. And I think that's an interesting way for the show to go, frankly. It's it's a very different character than the first Deep Throat. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it oddly makes me trust new new Deep Throat slightly more because I think we – you know you can't trust him or count on him you in know, a way. You, and yeah, so you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a little – You're. I, I guess you're not going to misplace your trust in him if he is giving you some trust. It's because it's a le- it's legitimately – what he thinks is the is the right path rather than you know well gee what's his what what's it going to be right right and then i guess the other thing too is you know moving aside from that character is is skinner in this episode because of course skinner is becoming a guy he's becoming a character in the show i think this is what his third time fourth time in the show and that scene between mulder and, and skinner is really interesting because it directly shows the evolution of their relationship from the first time that they, I mean, you know, the implication is that Skinner has been around and they, we just haven't yeah. seen him before. Yeah. But of course, after the events of, of last week, right. With the host, the fluke man episode. And now this episode where Skinner is still very brusque to Mulder, <laughs> but he is willing to listen to Mulder more. And Mulder wants to investigate this case. And Skinner's like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Yeah. You need to go do your transcription now. Yeah. He's, Transcribing wiretap stuff might be a fascinating job, frankly. I, I, but for some, I think it'd probably be fascinating for a couple hours. <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, I, I've done transcription work. It would, but for somebody, for an agent of Mulder's ca- capabilities, it's wasting him. And frankly, you're not gonna get as good of a job on these transcriptions as you would if you had somebody who was dedicated doing them. I mean, we don't know even if Mulder's a great typist or anything, but. It, it It is – I mean this is a very obvious – Skinner is making the point to Mulder that you're doing this on my terms and yeah. I'll do this favor to you. But no, you 
you need to know you're still you're still mine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's about as far as Skinner goes in this episode. Yeah. But it's just an interesting evolution. I think that you know, yeah. in, in general, like we started this podcast out with, the X Files is doing some interesting stuff because it's presuming a level of the X Files is presuming that you've seen these episodes yeah. before. It's not. Uh, uh, presuming that you, this is the first episode of the show you've ever seen. It's not really explaining yeah. a lot of stuff, which I think is an interesting way for the show to go. You know, I I guess thinking about that, I, I wonder if Mulder is able to go around the rules and all of that because he's the main character, right? He's sure. the smartest guy. He's the most attuned to what's really going on. I think Skinner thinks of himself as the main character in a way like, no, this is my office and you're not going to be able to do something half-cocked or without my permission or without me knowing it or yeah. without my imprimatur. So you've got to transcribe these tapes, which I think is a char- an interesting character note for him. But he, I, Is he wrong? Not necessarily. I mean, I think he – I think Skinner believes he deserves his position. He certainly, by virtue of position, has better – has more of an outside of idea of what's going on, has more of the bigger picture than Mulder might. And yeah. so I th- I don't think he's wrong to – and Mulder has gotten himself in a bunch of trouble because of his half-cockedness. So yeah. Skinner might even be seeing it as part of his job to just – get this guy doing stuff uh, doing stuff better and following the rules a bit more so that way we can be more effective at actually taking care of this stuff yeah yeah i think that's right now aside from from all of the sort of meta plot stuff and the, the character stuff in this episode you know i i i think that the events of this episode about the soldiers who had the surgery that they're not yeah. able to sleep anymore et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's talking about America's greatest sins and, you know, Vietnam and all of this stuff. And it's, you know, what does America do in the, in the pursuit of, of victory and, 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 and what is right and what is wrong to do? You know, obviously this is something about America's sins coming back to haunt it with the character of preacher. You know, I think that, that the, the, while I like the plot of this episode and while I like a lot of the performances and I think it moves along really nicely, I don't know that the show as a whole is that interested in this? I mean, it could have been any number of conspiracy plots. I don't know that it does enough with the idea of Vietnam because it has so much other place setting to do. Yeah. Uh, I hope this isn't the entire... I hope that this isn't necessarily the entirety of what the X-Files has to say about Vietnam because that was such a... is such a big thing, is such a major event and has made such an indelible mark on America's psyche, has so much to say about the way we treat veterans, the way that we approach combat. The way that we treat the military. Yeah. All, all, there are so many. I mean, the veneration of the military in the yeah. 21st century is a direct consequence of the way that returning veterans were treated when they came yeah. back from Vietnam. You know, it's an overcorrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole idea, you know, support the troops, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not saying don't support the troops, but, you know. No. It's a little, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, this is directly coming out of this. I guess he, I, 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 the simple way to say it is that the subject of Vietnam is both complicated in itself and a small part of so many larger issues that, again, this can't, it, it, it's true. If one episode which is very meta plot heavy, can't say all there is to say about it. But either way, even if this episode just says, hey, remember Vietnam? That was really fucked up. Right. That might be enough. I mean, I think the points of these episodes 
are less to say anything salient about it because they are so horrific that what can you really say beyond that? So yes, well, Chernobyl's horrifying. Uh, the DDT, horrifying. Vietnam, horrifying. It, 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 even if it's just laying bare these sins. Yeah, exactly. And I mean also, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but the the fact of the matter is – uh, you know, Dr. Grissom was doing these experiments with this other doctor yeah. uh, who gets off the train at Bronx Station. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, along those lines, the, one of the hospitals is in North Orange, New Jersey. There is no North Orange. There's an East Orange, a West Orange, a South Orange, and an Orange, but no North Orange. New Jersey is a fucked up place, man. Um, that fundamentally, these... I mean, let's call it, this is almost like an inverse of Captain America in a way. You know, this, yeah. <laughs> this is this is the American government doing these horrible experiments on these people to turn them into killing machines, essentially. They say that their unit killed something like 4,000 yeah. people, which is insane. A unit of 13. So, right. Yeah. That's a lot of damn people for one unit to kill. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about the about warfare, but that sounds like a lot. And then essentially they come back from the war and they're discarded i mean none of them are having a good time yeah the one guy's living in a horrible place in in brooklyn in some sort of flop house who's unemployed yeah you know, preachers in a fucking mental institution that looks like it's not very well kept i mean there's like you know it looks like they're in a basement and, and the guy at the guy at the diner is the one who's doing the best only by virtue of the fact that he seems to at least have a job <laughs> right and i mean even fundamentally to the to the fact of their their appearance yeah you know they look tired they're haunted they look yeah. like they've been awake for 24 years <laughs> i mean the makeup in this episode yeah. is really really good but it is the case where you know i don't want to say that the episode is trying to make a, a strong point about how we treat veterans or anything like that but that's definitely part yeah. of the episode it's def it it, it, it the, makes the, the same point about how we treat veterans that Jersey Devil makes about how we treat the homeless. In other words, it's not necessarily didactic about it. The entire episode is not about that. Mulder doesn't go at the end and say, if only we'd treated the homeless better, this never would have happened. There is no moral like that, but I think we are intended to leave the episode with at least some feelings about that. Yes, yes. And I think, too, that, I mean, compare the end of Blood to the end of Sleepless. Blood ends with Mulder in Franklin, Pennsylvania, making a phone call to Scully and seeing the all done message on his phone. Bye bye. Right. Yeah. And that is that was the point of that episode that the plot was the point that it ends on that note of uncertainty about what exactly was going on here, how it affected Mulder and what exactly the end result of this is going to be. Whereas Sleepless ends with the meeting between Crycheck, the cigarette smoking man, and the other two, you know, shadowy people yeah, flanking yeah. the cigarette smoking man, the cigarette smoking man saying, Well, we have to take care of Scully snuffing out a cigarette. So that's yeah. the, you know, that the the veteran stuff is more of the it's more of the appetizer of the episode. It's not yeah. the point. It's, it's the, the way it's we the, get into the Right. It's the structure around everything else that's going on. And while I think the show is definitely getting better at that, I mean, if you look at an episode like Space, for instance, <laughs> which kind of also did kind of the same thing in a way, you know, talking a little bit about, okay, well, there's this alien stuff and what's going on, you know. Yeah. Like they're doing a much better job of this now. The and, plot at least was good if you just I mean, if let's imagine a 20-minute version of this episode where all of the Metaplot stuff is out and it's just this 
little procedural drama, it would still be a fine sure. 20 minutes of television. It would be very – as you said, performance are all very good. It's tense. It's a – it it adds up as much as it needs to add up. I mean, we again, we have to assume that these doctors are able to do this particular surgery and that it works in this way, but – once we do, it, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know that that's just yeah, exactly. The X Files works in general. You just kind of go with this stuff. Yeah, sometimes it's better than, better than not. This episode sold that. Yeah, and I mean, I think too that that you know to that point as well. Even in this second season, I think the episodes just feel a lot tenser. Yeah, like that's another reason why I like this show so oh, much yeah. is that you can tell that they're getting better at this. I it, it it's been interesting watching these and tw- like watching Blood, for example, the digital effects and the yeah. they were cheesy in their way because i'm watching it with 2017 eyes and that looks like very dated design but i'm i think getting a little better at watching this is in this is what things would have looked like and sure. the scene itself becomes i mean those the hallucination scenes are really are, are very intense again they they are doing very well with this this is some well-directed television yeah yeah i think so all right, well, I think that's it for Blood and Sleepless. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. That is a way for you to give us money if you love our podcasts. It also supports our other show, Trekabout. This week, we talked about the Star Trek Voyager episodes, Parturition and Persistence of Vision. It's P-Week on Voyager. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on it. Tuning in shows our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new fans to find the show and makes me, Richard, and my little dog, Hank, feel wonderful. There's nothing little about Hank. Whenever we get a new review, I read them to Hank in a funny voice and he stares at me because he's a dog. (laughs) Next week. Next week is a big week, Richard. We are going to be talking about the episodes... Dwayne Barry. Oh, yeah, I get prescriptions there. <laughs> and Ascension. The Mac? Why do you.